You may be seated. Thank you. Well, that was, thank you, team. That was a great way uh, to commemorate uh, Reformation Day, which was yesterday. Um, and we can be thankful that that day yesterday, 503 years ago, um, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses, and that was a day that set in motion the Protestant Reformation. You know, as we finished Ephesians last week, uh, these couple of verses from Ephesians chapter 2 came to my mind, which encapsulates so much of what the Reformation was all about and why it was so important. So I just thought I'd read these a moment. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're going to take a look now for a couple minutes at uh, a video uh, sharing the life of Martin Luther and the impact of his actions in the year 1517. Now, this might be familiar to some of you, uh, but for many of us, including myself, this will probably be new and quite amusing, actually. So let's take a look. This is the story of Martin Luther. He got up to some pretty adventurous things. He was kidnapped by knights on horseback, some horseback, lived in disguise in a castle, and had his nuns escape Maybe we won't do that. <laughs> anyway, uh, hopefully that is just a glitch on that video <laughs> because what I was about to say after the video was that one of the beautiful aspects of technology, that is not one of the beautiful aspects of technology, but one of the beautiful aspects of technology is that um, in this age, we are no longer bound by proximity in the way that we once were. Uh, so this morning, uh, we have the opportunity, Lord willing, to hear uh, from Ken Oak in Spain. Ken and his uh, family, they serve with Avant Ministries, uh, and they will, he will be sharing this morning on themes of light and darkness, uh, just exploring from a few passages, uh, mainly from the Gospel of John. And I'm just gonna check in with our tech team at the back. Is, are we okay, maybe? We're, we're, I'm getting like a little, maybe, we'll see. Um, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna pray. I'm going to pray over technology, um, this wonderful thing, and uh, we will start the video. If there is an issue that arises, I'm going to quickly come up with something. So <laughs> how about that? <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, you are truly the rock of ages. We know that you are in control. We know that you are present by your spirit with us regardless of what we uh regardless of what where whether we are present or whether we are in our homes wherever we are we lord we know that you are with us lord and so god may your word be proclaimed this morning may we hear this message from uh from ken oak as he uh, shares 
from the Gospel of John. God, would you be with us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. So turn with me now to this video from Ken Oak, and if something fails, I'll be back up in a moment. Well, good morning, Courtright. Nice to be with you again, even though it's just virtually. Greetings from the Oaks in Spain. Um, we've, for the last couple months, we've been able to meet together in person in our church and, uh, you know, doing all of the physical distancing and wearing masks and that type of thing. But it's it's been kind of nice to get back together. And at the same time, we had to do a bit of a switch in our minds because Sunday mornings had just been these relaxing mornings at home doing church uh, virtually. And a normal Sunday morning at our house uh, it involves a little bit more chaos than that usually. It's a bit of a rush around to get out the door and we do the worship at our church. So we've got guitars and a cajon and the computers and mics and cables as well, as well as three travel mugs of coffee, obviously. And I'm amazed that in the 10 years that we've been doing this juggling act of musical equipment and, and hot drinks, that none of us have arrived at church wearing our coffee, but I believe that's probably just a matter of time. So I want you to imagine, as we start off, that we're finally at a point where we can all meet together. And I was going to come to Courtright, I was going to preach the sermon, but this was the day that I wasn't so lucky. And I end up wearing my coffee instead of drinking it. And I don't have time to get back home and change. And so I have to stand in front of you just a bit embarrassed that I've got this stain on me. But what we're imagining something, we'll make it a little bit uh, a little bit more interesting. Not only have I spilled coffee on myself, but I also, while filling the car up with gas, got sprayed completely. My pants have gas all over them. And as I went to look for maybe some paper towel or something to get rid of the stains on my pants, I end up stepping in an oil slick that's drained out of somebody's car. So now I've got coffee, I've got gasoline, I've got oily shoes. I'm feeling embarrassed. I turn to go back into my car and a truck drives by, it hits a puddle and I just get covered in greasy, muddy water. And so that's how I show up at church. And I know the only way I can maintain my dignity is if I make sure nobody sees me, but I'm gonna be standing up there in front of you. And at that point, I'm probably wishing that we're all back down and back in lockdown and that I can just uh, on my Zoom call, turn my camera off. Now, obviously it's a bit far-fetched to think that all of those things would happen to me on the same day, but if you're still listening to me, let me make it a little bit more far-fetched. Let's say that by random chance, this happened to all of us, all on the same day, we all show up to church an utter mess. And we're a reasonable group of people. And so we reason that as long as we can see each other, it's going to be hard not to be embarrassed about our disastrous state. So someone comes up with a solution. We'll turn the lights off. Not only that, we'll board up the window so no light can get in. And we'll do this church service in total pitch black darkness. Now, if we can't see each other, there's nothing to be ashamed of, right? And being reasonable people, we agree that this is a fantastic solution and it works. I'm no longer ashamed and embarrassed because you can't see how big of a mess I am. And I can stand there in front of you 
without being overwhelmed by my feelings of embarrassment and shame. And it's a fabulous solution. Except it's really not. I can pick out at least three big problems. One of them is I still feel terrible. I still feel muddy, greasy, and coffee stained, and it doesn't feel nice. On top of that, I know you're all out there, but I can't see you. And the whole reason I came to that service is because I've had enough of virtual meetings. I came because I wanted to be there and interact with you and encourage you and be encouraged by you and relate to the darkness is making that really, really difficult. I don't get any interaction. I don't get any feedback and I might as well be alone. And the third problem that I see is all of us would be sitting there very anxious, worried that, you know, maybe somebody had come late into the service and they're going to flick that light switch on in the back of the room. And in a flash, we're all exposed again. You know, the darkness covers all this stuff up, but we know that is a terrible way to exist, but we can't seem to find a better solution. Now, in my church over the last couple of months, um, I teach on a team or with a team of people, and we've been going through Jesus' I am statements in the Gospel of John. These are the things like, I am the vine, like I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the one that's really stuck with me since finishing that series is Jesus' statement that I am the light of the world. And if you walk with him, you don't walk in darkness. And if you think about the darkness that we walk in, I think there's a number of ways that we can look at it and still stay true to what Jesus was saying. You know, we have self-imposed darkness that we walk in. This is as we live with the consequences of our own failings and our own sin. But we have darkness that's pushed on us as well. It's the darkness that comes over your life because you feel rejected. Um, the darkness that you feel you're living in when... It feels like you're stumbling around blind, looking for meaning in life and trying to make sense of it all, but not actually finding it. Um, it's the darkness that comes over you when you feel trapped by your circumstances or when you feel insignificant or when nothing makes sense and you keep asking why and why and why and you just don't get any answers. And like our imaginary situation where we all showed up to church filthy, these are the stains that we have on us and we want to hide them in the darkness. You can track this theme of light and darkness throughout the whole Gospel of John. It's first presented in the introduction to his Gospel, when we where we read that since, since before the beginning of time, Jesus existed, and in him was life, and that life was the light of all humanity. But as you read on in John, you get another comment on light and darkness. Um, in John 3, 19, it says, the light has come into the world, but the people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. We were all covered up in this muddy, greasy coffee stains that we've caused ourselves and the world has thrown on us. And we want to keep it hidden in the spiritual darkness. And we know it's a terrible solution because we're left with the same three problems that we had in our imaginary dark church service, right? You can hide in the spiritual darkness, but one, your spirit still feels like it's covered in all this terrible stuff and it doesn't feel good. Um, two, it keeps me from truly relating to the people around me to fully know you and to fully be known because I'm afraid of what you think of me and you're afraid of what I think of you. So we hide ourselves from each other. 
No, it's not what we want, but we can't find another solution. And we also, three, live in a perpetual state of anxiety. Someone's going to flick the light on, and in a flash, you'll be exposed for everyone else to see and be ridiculed. So today, we're going to look at Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In essence, Jesus is threatening to flick the light switch on, but not to ridicule us or to judge us. It's to let you walk in the light that will purify you from the stains. It opens up a new possibility to fully, to fully know and to fully be known by God himself, which then allows you to be known and know other people who are walking in the light. And it frees us from the anxiety that we're going to be exposed, that we're going to be ridiculed. And I think if we walk our way through Jesus' teaching and make sure that we grasp what he's saying, we'll move toward all of that positive stuff. And there are some of you who might conclude, wait, I've been walking in darkness all of my life. I don't want to stay there. And there are others of you who know you've stepped out of the darkness. And hopefully this morning will be a reminder of what it means um, to be able to fully experience day by day, moment by moment, what it means to walk in the light. Right? Imagine what it would be like to be free from the feeling um, spiritually and emotionally stained. Um, what would it be like not only, or to not only have to not hide who you are, but to actually know the people around you? What would that do to your sense of self-worth, to your relationships, in your family, with your spouse, your children, your, your friends? That's where we're going this morning, to that good place. So this all happens in John chapter 8, and I'll give you some of the context. Just before Jesus makes this statement, um, the religious leaders have tried to trap him and make him look foolish. They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and they say to him that the law of Moses says she needs to be stoned to death. So what do you say? And Jesus comes back with his famous line, let the person who's totally without sin throw the first stone. And they all disperse. And Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She answers, no, and neither do I condemn you, Jesus says. Now go and sin no more. And right after that, Jesus turns to the people and he says, I'm the light of the world. Now, if you heard somebody say that, what do you think your first response would be? I think most of us would ask the question, what do you mean you're the light of the world? But that's not how the crowd responds. The, the Pharisees, they respond by saying, well, you can't claim that and expect us to take your word for it. But why don't they ask the obvious question? What's he even claiming? You say you're the light of the world. What do you mean? And the reason why they don't ask is because they fully understood what he was claiming. And they knew because of three things. They knew because of prophecies. They knew because of when Jesus said this. And they knew because of where Jesus said this, right? In the prophets, um, the, the people were told that a Messiah was coming and that Messiah would be the light of the world. Um, here's Isaiah 60, just as an example. It says, Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you and see the darkness covers the earth. And the thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And later in the chapter, it says the sun will no 
more be your light by day, nor the brightness of the moon shine on you, because the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will, will uh, wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. The prophets talked about a savior, a messiah, who was the light of the world, and the people knew that. But it's also important when Jesus said this, um, because when he said that makes it obvious that he was claiming to be the one that the prophets talked about. And we know from chapter 7, if you go back there, that Jesus had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles, which was a week-long celebration. And he started teaching halfway through the week. So by the time you get to chapter 8, this is either the last day of the festival or the day after it ended. And this was a huge celebration, um, possibly more people in Jerusalem during that celebration even than during the Passover. And what would happen is the priests would put up four huge oil-burning lamps or torches, like think Olympic flame type of thing, those type of torches. They were on the top of columns that were 23 meters high, and each one had four bowls of oil with wicks made from old priests' robes. And they were set, it was set up in one of the larger courtyards in the temple called the Court of the Women. And they were lit every night, and the light could be seen all over Jerusalem. And historians from that time said that it would light up every courtyard in the city, just this massive, bright light in the darkness. And since we've all lived with electricity all of our lives, we don't really get how significant that would be to have a week where the whole city was lit up, even at night. And this lighting ceremony, though, it didn't come from any mandate given in the Law of Moses. It was a tradition that arose based on some verses in the prophet Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah 14, Zechariah is writing about um, at the time when the Messiah would come, and he says, On that day, when he comes, there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day a day known only to the Lord, with no distinction between night and day. When evening comes, there will be light. So these huge torch candelabras were lit to remind people that this day was coming, that the promised Messiah would come and be light in the darkness, and so the people would stay up all night celebrating. So you had prophecies saying, the Messiah is coming, he will be light in the darkness. And then Jesus says this, um, at the Feast of Tabernacles, which was seven days of literal light in the darkness based on Zechariah's prophecy about the Messiah. But it's also important where he said this, because verse 20 says, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And the treasury just happened to be right there in the court of the women, where those enormous torch candelabras were standing, representing the light of the world, the Messiah. So into that situation, Jesus stands in the temple where these towering torches had been lit all night to remind the people that a savior was coming to be light in the darkness. And Jesus says, that's me. I am the light of the world. With the prophecies and the context of the Feast of Tabernacles, the huge torches pointing to the coming Messiah, nobody had any doubt what he was claiming. And so again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world.
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's saying, I am the promised Messiah. I am the Savior. And obviously the religious leaders are going to have issue with that claim. And so they go to the, to the legal standards of the day, which say that in order to establish something to be true, you need at least two witnesses. And that's going to be difficult since Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world, right? The light of all humanity that existed in the beginning is what we, uh, we mentioned from John 1. So there weren't any people around to witness this. And so Jesus' response is, you don't know where I come from. And he points out their error. He says to them in uh, verse 15, he says, you judge according to the flesh. See, he's saying you're not, or you're using normal human rules to determine whether my claim to be God is true. And you're not going to figure it out that way. And he, he actually points out, in fact, your whole religion judges everything according to human flesh, to human rules. You judge people's validity by their external performance. And the whole point of your religion is to judge people. Your biggest test of whether sure or not was to see how he would judge the woman caught in adultery. And that was their religious game. How will I be judged and how can I judge others? And, you know, it's sad to say that that same attitude is often a little too prevalent in the church today, right? More and more as you uh, get polarized political, this polarized political climate we're in, we look at what is right and wrong in society and we blast people who are wrong as if the point of being a Christian is to prove that we're right. right? Uh, you can find Christians telling other Christians that if you're not condemning whatever the hot button social issue is or a hot button issue is on social media, then you're actually complicit with the other side. And we can come off very easily as intolerant, angry, opinionated people who know what's right and know what's wrong and will just condemn anyone who disagrees with us. And somehow we convince ourselves that that's how we're supposed to be ambassadors for the one who came to be the light of the world, who said in verse 15, I judge no one. Right? John 3, 16, you know these verses. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we often stop there, but you've got to go on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through it. And Christians should respond to people walking in darkness in a very different way than judgmental religious people, right? Hearts should break for people walking in darkness. Their darkness is going to be morally wrong and it's going to be offensive, but pointing the finger and saying wrong, wrong, wrong pushes people deeper into the darkness and further away from the light of the world. Right? Jesus looked at the darkness and he wept. He looked at the darkness and he voluntarily gave up his life to drag people out of it. When you see people walking in the darkness, the first thing that comes into our minds shouldn't be condemnation. It should be, what can I do to draw that person out of it? Now, Jesus says, I judge no one, but he doesn't mean there's not a right and a wrong. Uh, in verse 16, he says, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it's not I alone who judge, but it's the Father who sent me. In other words, moral right and wrong are determined by God. Um, 
And it doesn't mean that nobody will be judged. There will be judgment based on what is true. But what Jesus is pushing back against is religion, where the whole point is to judge between right and wrong and drive those living in darkness deeper into the darkness. Um, Jesus' goal was to draw them out of the darkness and into the light, into full acceptance from God and the stains of the shame removed. And it's a basic, basic truth that through the history of the church seems to be forgotten over and over again and then maybe remembered and forgotten and remembered that he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. He didn't come to affirm religious people who thought they had it all together. He came to find you hiding in the darkness, hiding the stains that you didn't want to expose. Um, the stains, whether those stains are because of the terrible decisions that you've made, because of rejection that you're living through, because you've been made to feel insignificant. Um, you know, that darkness when you don't know where to turn and life feels like stumbling around blind, looking for meaning and trying to make sense of it. You know, the shadow that comes over you when you're trapped by your circumstances or when nothing makes sense and you're asking why and you're not getting answers. That's the darkness he came to take us out of. And we need to make sure that we don't forget this truth. Don't forget it when we see the stained people around us, that we're not here to condemn them. We're here to draw them out of the darkness. But also don't forget it when we look in the mirror, because God's in the business of removing the stains and teaching us what it means to walk in the light. So be encouraged by that this morning.